You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Backernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I already told you pretty much what we're doing. Uh, today we are going to be mostly taking a look at, uh, who was it? The Broncos, I think, right? Yeah, Denver Broncos. Going to follow a similar kind of path. Uh, we do have a tiny bit of news as well as um, a user-submitted question, so I want to run through those things. And I want to try to do all this a little quicker than yesterday because I got a late start because, I don't know, kind of tired. Sorry. I, I'm, I don't know, what, what, what's my deal? Podcasts are coming out at 8 o'clock at night. Wakes up tired and stuff. I'm getting old, man. This podcast is only over 300 days old, man. It's getting aged. It's getting crotchety and crabby, a little bit senile. I'm doing my best to show you that I can still handle this, but one of these days I'm going to count on you. You're going to have to take me out back, man. I just I just don't I don't want to see it coming. Oh, the kids don't know what I'm referencing. Get out of here. Take me out back for ice cream and make me feel better. Not ice cream, it's too cold. Um take me out back for tacos and that'll fix the podcast. See? Fixed it. Morning, children. Anyways. <laughs> Alright, it was a little dark. Whatever. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Can you believe it? What a deal. In return, for just a dollar a month, you get a daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Yeah, some people say you can get it for free anyways. Don't listen to those people. They don't know anything. Those are the people that thought the world was going to explode you know, and it, it, with Y2K, right? They filled up their bathtubs with water and stuff. They were wrong then, and they're, well, I guess they're right now. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'm still correct when I say, if you give me a dollar a month, you will get a daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Two things can be true at once. Moving on. Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information. I got to do a different language one of these days. I already gave up on the... Uh, on the uh, soccer thing, because I'm not going to call it football. It just sounds cool. Information sounds cooler in Spanish. Information, man. It's got a little more pep to it. Boom! Sticking with it. But for those that are new in town, Packernet.com is an aggregation. So we pull in all the different sources. We got audio, video, as well as articles. And there's a little gear icon. Head over there, click the gear icon. You can check or uncheck whatever news sources you like or don't like, and create your own personalized news feed. It's pretty cool. Wish I'd have thought of it. I didn't. I just joined the group. Now I can kind of call it my own, even though it's definitely not. But sometimes I lie. 
Like the guy yesterday who scolded me for calling NFL Big Board my board because it's not my board, even though it is my board. And he's the reason I'm in a bad mood today, so you can thank that guy. Scold me on my own YouTube channel. How dare you? What does social media come to when you can't just have nothing but positive comments? I, I, you know, shameful. What else is going on? Oh, NFLBigBoard.com, which is my big board because my is just something that means I possess it, I own it, which I do. It's registered in my name. The website is, the board is mine because I created it. Nobody else has it. The numbers, the names, everything is in my order because I built it the way I want it because it's mine. It also happens to be the best big board out there because it pulls in all the other big boards. And, And just for a little backstory of why I did that, when I did mock drafts before, what did I need? I needed a reference, right? I needed a board. So I'd go there and I would do it and I would put it up on my YouTube channel and people would say, you're nuts. Why is this guy here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Check out this board. And then I go look at a different one. And it's like, oh yeah, that's very different. And then I look at a third one. And it's like, yeah, I guess nobody else has it except this guy. It's very biased. It takes the bias out, right? It averages everything. So one guy really likes this person, but nobody else even thinks of them as a top 50 person. You're not going to go out saying, this is going to be picked at number two. You don't have to be that guy anymore. NFLBigBoard.com, thank you very much. Otherwise, be sure to get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you have a question, please call 608-501-0718. If you got some comments, you got something you want to get off your chest, if you've got one of those situations where it's like you're pacing back and forth in your living room and you're just like, I would say this if I had a podcast, you got two options, man. Three, really, but really only two. One, which isn't an option, is you just swallow hard and you just let that die inside you. Don't do that, man. It's toxic. Number two is you start a podcast, which, consider it, but another thing to consider is, if these things happen once in a while, are you able to do this very regularly and communicate it, blah, 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 plus the cost and the time and everything else. But by all means, I encourage you to try it out. Number three, you send that message to me and I'll, I'll put it out there for you. I'll let the people know what they need to know. Send it on over, man. We'll make it happen. Or, or ma'am. The demographics have been changing lately. I've been getting a lot of not a lot of, of female folk in the Packernet podcast group. I gotta change my lingo here. I think it's because I said a long time ago that it's all guys and now like out of spite, it's like, um, excuse me? No. So if you guys or gals got something to say, shoot it on over. We'll make it happen. Alright, so let's get ripping through this here. Let's get Brett ripping through this. <laughs> nailed it so somewhat interesting bit of news it kind of seems cool because he's a known name and he played the position and all this but i'm not entirely sure how i feel but wes welker interviewed for the green bay packers wide receiver coaching job so it's kind of cool i mean it's it's someone who's relatable obviously fits the young mold he was a good football player he understands a lot of stuff outside of that i don't know take it for what it is i suppose it'll depend if he's a good guy or not um Obviously, he played a lot for the Patriots. So from a schematic standpoint, I don't really know that it's, you know, whatever. But I do think at some point, the further you get down the ladder, the less that really matters. I mean, I definitely think it matters because there's something that the wide receivers and everybody else needs to understand within the system, you know, the the philosophy behind it or whatever. But in terms of making better wide receivers better wide receivers, you know, how to, you know, use your feet, your legs, your body, your hands, your eyes the general 
philosophy and thought process of a wide receiver. It doesn't really matter, but it would be kind of nice. So obviously the the Patriots ran the Earhart Perkins system. That's what he did for the most of his career. He also played for the Broncos with John Fox. That was also Earhart Perkins. He went over to play for the St. Louis Rams, but that was a year before um, Sean McVay showed up, so we don't get that connection quite. Instead, you get the Jeff Fisher Rams, and Jeff Fisher was Air Coriel, so a little bit of a different situation there. But, uh, you know, Welker, end of his career, he only played eight games, 22 targets, 13 receptions, 102 yards. So so basically, as far as system or scheme fit, there's nothing. But I, other than that, it's a matter of, you know, I mean, coaching is a different thing. I mean, it's cool that he's a wide receiver and he's a young guy and all this stuff. That's great. They have to assess his ability to coach, I guess, is the thing, and I can't tell you that because I don't know that. So I don't really have any actual insights to give you other than this thing happened. These are the stats that I can find, and you can form your own opinion. Moving on to the uh, the question. I don't have a name assigned to this, but I got a text message. It says, I'd really like to hear your opinion on the Packers signing Kareem Hunt. Also, with the possibility of the Ravens not signing C.J. Mosley, do you think he would be more important to the Packers... Sorry, you got cut off. Then Anthony Barr or D. Ford, go pack, go. So the Kareem Hunt thing is a pretty easy one. I would say it's similar to the Le'Veon Bell situation. The, the, one of the bigger problems with Le'Veon Bell is that it just, it, from a value standpoint, it doesn't really make sense. I think, see, and I'm still stuck on this, and I don't want to go back down this road, but I, I will just say that there is a possibility we still need a number one, but that's only if we genuinely are concerned about Aaron Jones's ability to be a number one carrying the ball X amount of times per game for 16 games, which seems to be Mike McCarthy's concern for two years now. He hasn't been able to be on the field for 16 games, so injury concerns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But either way, the, the problem with Le'Veon Bell is that how much better is he who also has some injury concerns, by the way. But how much better is he than Aaron Jones? Then you factor in his cost. Then you factor in his baggage. It just doesn't make any sense. This is even more so. Now, Kareem Hunt probably isn't going to be as expensive, especially considering his incident. But there's just no way, man. I mean, I, I'm, you got to understand, I've been saying Antonio Brown's not coming here because he's been disrespectful to coaches. Because he has a me-first attitude. I mean, I mean, the, the guy got into a fight with a woman. Granted, the woman maybe wasn't a great person, but nobody cares. You can't be this kind of a person. I mean, I just told you today I had somebody call me names this morning. Granted, it's not the same names, but I mean, you at some point have to be a big enough person to just be like, okay, dude, and then walk away. Like, you're going to get into a fist fight with a woman who called you something? I, I really, I, I, let me just tell you, I don't care what the word was, grow up. You're that sensitive? That you're going to throw away your entire life, your entire career, to get into a fight with a woman. An NFL football player. Now granted, he didn't pummel her, but that, that's so beyond the point. This, this kind of behavior. And, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is, guys with issues like this tend to find problems. How did this thing begin? How did this happen? Where, where is he? What is he doing? Who is this late? You know, what's going on? You know, Adam Pacman Jones, remember when he got into a fight at the airport? He was clearly being instigated, but how is it that some guys just happen to keep getting into these kinds of situations? Why is this guy taunting him? What happened before the camera started rolling that this guy felt the need to get in his face and start screaming at him the whole time? 
how is it guys that consi- consistently seem to get into trouble keep 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 getting into trouble trouble keeps seeming to find people like this and then yesterday we talk about guys like Jordy Nelson. Why 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 don't these things why doesn't anybody attack Jordy Nelson at an airport? Why aren't women chasing him down at one o'clock in the morning, drunk, screaming at him, swearing at him? Because he's not in those situations, because he's not that kind of a person. You're never going to find Jordy in that situation because he's never going to put himself in those situations. And then if somebody calls him a name, I promise you he would never turn around and try to hit a woman. And neither would Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Devontae Adams would ever do that. Bakhtiari would never do that. The guys on the Green Bay Packers, maybe somebody would, but who? And why do we think that? Would Jimmy Graham do that? Do you think Mike Daniels would even do that? Never. Never. The the, the guy is, is, he's an animal on the field, but off the field, he's a family man. He's got a great wife. He spends his days doing, I mean, I don't know, some nerdy, I can't even, Dragon Ball Z stuff. You just don't want this kind of stuff in your locker room. You don't want these people on your team. You got some people that just like to live that way, right? They, they got a group of guys that they hang out with they shouldn't be hanging out with. They got a group of women they hang out with they shouldn't be hanging out with. They go out to Vegas and do things that they shouldn't be doing. If in the off season you want to go out and consume a bunch of stuff that's going to mess with your brain and hang out with people that aren't great people until 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning and then get into fights and stuff, well, all right then. But you're going to rep, you know, reap the repercussions of that. So no, I, I don't want him on this team. You have that big of a lack of judgment, that little self-control. No, I, I, I don't want. And for what? For what? What? What's he? He's not even better than. I don't think he's even better than Aaron Jones. So no. So for me, that's easy. You know, Le'Veon Bell has his problems, but what? What is it? He's he's kind of kind of like Antonio Brown, right? He's he's got a bunch of money. He does whatever he wants to do. But he, even in his situation, it's really just him. I don't I don't even know if it's as bad as Antonio Brown, and maybe I'm forgetting some stuff. But this was just him saying, "I don't want to play under this this uh, this this contract. This uh, you know whatever you guys are putting me under. I I think it's unfair, and I'm going to do what I believe is in my best interest." And he's rolling the dice, and then you know as much as I don't care for that and I think it's going to reflect poorly on him with how he's treating his team and his teammates and and a lot of coaches and players aren't going to want to play with a guy like that at the end of the day he's just trying to do what's in his best interest and if he ends up cashing in with a you know a relatively long-term 18 million dollar a year deal it seems to me he will have been right not necessarily from a financial standpoint, but he's never going to go anywhere. He wants a long-term deal because he knows injuries are inevitable. And that team was never going to give him one, and he thought it was unfair. So we're talking about apples and oranges, even between those two, and same with Antonio Brown. I don't like the way he's acting, but it's so different. You know, being flashy and showing off and stuff, whatever. It's it's goofy. It's unnecessary. I think he's getting himself into trouble. I don't think he, he deserves you know, the right to be treated like a superstar like Tomlin did allowed him to get away with stuff. But, I mean, th- this is a this is a completely different level. And you've already got teams like the Jets saying we would never touch Kareem Hunt. Not to say the Jets are... But I'm, I'm just saying, it's, it, the Packers seem to hold a very, very high standard with this stuff. And you've got most other NFL teams saying we're not touching that guy. It's never going to happen. Now, somebody will take him because, to be completely honest, that's nowhere near as bad as Joe Mixon who was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals in the second round, he straight up hit a woman in the jaw and knocked her out cold. Punched her as hard as he could in the jaw. I think he broke her jaw. He's in the NFL. He's a second-round draft pick making millions of dollars. 
That's disgusting. He should be behind bars. The Cincinnati Bengals should absolutely be ashamed. So, but, you know, whatever. Somebody's going to pick this guy up. They're going to overlook it because everybody ends up overlooking it because that's just the way it goes. But do I want him in Green Bay? No. Do the Packers and the leadership over there? No. And good for them for not wanting him. And and to be clear, I'm not I'm not scolding you, the questioner, whatsoever. I'm just 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 get passionate about stuff. I mean, we we we've all made bad decisions, but at some point you've crossed the line. Kareem Hunt's crossed the line. I think he knows it, and it's going to hurt him. So be it. So as to your next question, um, do you think C.J. Mosley would uh, be more important to the Packers than Anthony Barr or D. Ford? Based on the the phraseology of it, I would say no. In other words. All things being equal, is he more important? Well, he's a linebacker. But, you know, if the question is more or less better value, better whatever, whatever, I I don't dislike that at all. Now, I I haven't really looked at C.J. Mosley at all, but just so we're clear, first-round draft pick, very, very talented linebacker. Um, He comes out of Alabama. He's only 26 years old, 6'2", 250 pounds. He's not elite elite. But he's just a solid player across the board, right? He, he's not super great in coverage or pass rush, but as a as just a linebacker, great tackler, good against the run. He's been consistently solid since the day he stepped on the field. Only in about 2015 was he considered average. Every 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 other year he's been considered good. This is PFF I'm referencing. He's just solid. Now I've mentioned D Ford. I don't care for. I don't trust his one year of production based on his four or possibly five years, whatever it was, of being terrible. And the fact that he's done absolutely nothing else. And the, and the, the cost, in addition to that, I mentioned he's supposedly valued in, in the $16.5 million range. No chance am I paying him that much money. Barr, I've also voiced concern, although he could be an absolute steal. It depends on what his value is and all this stuff. He could be the best play, Anthony Barr. But, you know, as I said, the, the problem is, what is his value? Because if you bring him on as an edge rusher, which I'm sure a lot of teams are going to want to do, he's going to want to be paid as an edge rusher. Well, how much do you value him as an edge rusher, considering he's never played as an edge rusher in the NFL from a 3-4 kind of system? Maybe like once or twice. From from when I looked it up, that was about as much as I can see when he played a 3-4 outside linebacker. That was about it. Because they just they don't do that. So as far as safe C.J. Mosley, that's easy. As far as cost, I bet C.J. Mosley is even less. Even though Anthony Barr has primarily been a, a, a off-ball linebacker, fact of the matter is he's going to be seen as potentially a premier outside linebacker pass rusher. I think that's going to drive up his value. Not exactly to to the sixteen million dollar range. I wouldn't think. Maybe if it does, no, no, no chance. Because it's just a risk. I mean, maybe he's worth it. Maybe he's beyond worth $16 million. But I don't know that. Nobody knows that. So if this turns into a feeding frenzy where a bunch of teams start thinking maybe, 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 and his value starts going up and up and up and up and up, $8, 10 $12, $15, 17000000 at some point you just got to jump ship. Um, that sort of brings us back to C.J. Mosley. You know, I... And, you know, it, it just it keeps coming back to the fact that I do like Jake Ryan more so than, than most people do. And I think if we wanted another linebacker, I personally would prefer, based on the, the, the what I presume to be the cost, I would rather have Jake Ryan than C.J. Mosley. I'm not really calling him a better linebacker, 
But I think they're very similar, and I think C.J. Mosley is going to command a lot more money on the open market than a guy like, or, you know, than what would be re-signing Jake Ryan, who especially, you know, he started off not being very good. He's slowly grown into his role. He's just coming off IR. He, I mean, he's going to be rock-bottom price, and I think his value is not that bad. In fact, when you look at things like coverage and even overall grade, I think Jake Ryan was actually even higher. It's, and it's, it's hard to say because it was actually relatively close, and it was only one year, right? So Jake Ryan, the, the thing that I really like is he continued to grow every single year, right? His, his rookie year, he was just horrible. I remember, I, I've referenced this a few times, but I remember specifically whenever he went into coverage, right, whenever somebody was at the running back spot and he was in man coverage against a running back and he split out, it was game over. 100% of the time you could call it out, he's going to throw to that guy. He did, and he was always open, and he always caught it. That in and of itself got better. So he went from being pretty terrible in 2015 to being average in 2016. His tackling improved exponentially. His pass rush and coverage got better, but were still pretty bad. Then in 2017, he went into the good category, basically around where C.J. Mosley has been his entire career, which is why C.J. Mosley would be a little bit safer, because it's possible Jake Ryan regresses. Maybe this one good year was a fluke. I don't really know. But he was really just good across the board. His run defense was even better. It was pretty solid. His tackling was pretty decent, which it kind of always had been. His pass rush was off the charts, just completely blew up out of nowhere. And then his coverage was actually pretty good. I think it was better in 2017 than Blake Martinez. So I like that we got a guy and were able to develop him, right? They're similar in age. Um, they're, they're similar in stature as far as, you know, production and, you know, value pro football focus wise. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess if we wanted, if we wanted somebody that we could rely on a little more, I think CJ Mosley does maybe make a little bit more sense. It ju- it just depends, man. How how much do we want to invest in this? How much of our salary cap do we want to put put into this? For me personally, I would rather just bring back Jake Ryan and roll the dice that you know he's going to be able to play and be productive, similar to how he was in 2017. But if we want to allocate a little bit more money to it, C.J. Mosley would be a pretty good play because we know what we're getting in C.J. Mosley. He's not going to be an elite player. Not to say we couldn't develop him into one. Maybe he could be, but he is going to be primarily a run stuffing linebacker, which in and of itself is an issue because that's kind of what we already have and and we're looking for more of a, I don't know, athletic coverage type guy. But I mean, it's personal preference. I can understand either side of it. I guess I'm leaning toward no, but it really just depends on the cost. I mean, if if they're similar in cost, yeah, bring out C.J. Mosley, dump Jake Ryan. If Jake Ryan is like three million and C.J. Mosley is eight million, I want Jake Ryan. So it really just comes down to, to market value. Because I, I would say that C.J. Mosley's better, but not enough to justify throwing away a significant part of our limited cap space, if that makes sense. All right, so let's move on with the Denver Broncos. Obviously, we don't have quite as much time because we did a bunch of other stuff, but we're going to try to run through similar to what we did yesterday. Again, all I want to do is give a cursory look of the kind of an overview of one of our opponents. This is another at-home opponent, so this will be uh, in Green Bay. So... Right off the bat here, um, the Denver Broncos are definitely in a better situation than the um, Panthers insofar as their ability to improve. A couple of the reasons I say that, first of all, their salary cap is at $41 million, so it's similar to where the Green Bay Packers are at. They're in a position 
depending on you know what they do with their free agents, whether they resign a bunch of their guys, maybe they could you know change some stuff with the guys that they currently have, release some guys, which there's definitely some candidates for release to free up a ton more money. And we'll talk about a few of those guys. Um, but then with that money, they can they make some improvements. There's also the situation with their quarterback in the draft where they could potentially draft a quarterback finally and uh, see if they can improve over Case Keenum. Although, I'll say right now, I don't really think that's going to happen. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It might. I just think that's going to be a bad decision if they do, but we'll see. I'll try to remember to talk about that when we get to quarterback. But anyways, let's look at their uh, salary cap situation as well as their uh, pending free agents. So quarterback, they don't have any. Running back, they don't have any. So they're bringing back everybody. Um, Again, I just want to run through these, and then we'll go back over it in a little bit. Uh, Jeff Howerman, the tight end, is uh, essentially a free agent. They do have guys like Jake Butt and Troy Fumagalli. Both ended on IR, but they're very young guys uh, that could potentially step up. Also, Matt LaCrosse, Brian Parker. A lot of guys that could maybe allow them to move on from Howerman. But I, I don't really know, and they could probably get him for cheap if they did decide to bring him back. Um, offensive line, Billy Turner at guard, Max Garcia at guard. Center, Matt Paradise and Gino Gredkowski, as well as right tackle, Jared Valdir. So some pretty big names in there that they're probably going to need to invest some money in to bring back. Again, we'll go more in depth on that. That's it for offense. So already, again, much less so than the Carolina Panthers. So again, a better situation. Less guys that are free agents, less money they have to invest more money to invest. I think they have better opportunities to cut guys and free up money, so whatever. Um, uh, the defensive line, Demata Pecco, which I still want to call him Pico because that's what I've been saying and I like saying that more, uh, as well as Shelby Harris. Both of these guys are their uh, nose tackles, so they're going to have to do something to either retain or acquire. Otherwise, Zach Kerr, defensive end, uh, their 3-4 outside linebackers, Shaquille Barrett and Shane Ray, are both free agents. Cornerbacks, Bradley Roby, Tremaine Brock, Jamar Taylor, and that's about it. So again, we'll revisit that. I don't want to touch on the specifics of it quite yet because I want to look at the depth chart and see some of the possibilities about, you know, whether or not, you know, how, how much in need of this player are we and then how much it's going to cost and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that when we get to that. Some guys, if we want to free up some cap space. So first on this list is Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, this is a guy that I would definitely assume is probably not going to be around. Now, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. He's still a really good football player, and it's hard to let him go, especially considering the lack of production that they've seen from their young guys. So depending on how talented they think their youth are, like Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton, they may want to move on. And especially if they do end up getting a young quarterback, or even if they don't, I suppose, it, it's going to make uh, it's going to help a lot to keep a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. But just to give you an idea of the potential here, you've got... A guy that's getting $12.9 million, $12 million, they could shave off $10.25 million of that. That's an additional $10 million by moving Emmanuel Sanders. And then if you're able to trade him, because he did have a good year last year, maybe you could trade him to a team like the Packers, I don't know. And just for reference, I think Emmanuel Sanders is somewhat underappreciated as far as how good he is. Since 2014, with the exception of 2017, the guy's been a stud. 2014, he was graded as very good. 2015, very good. 2016, very good. 2018, very good. 2017, average. I don't know what happened. He got hurt or what. And yes, he did end this season on IR. But this is a good football player, and we're talking about a guy that does not have a good quarterback right now. He was graded as the 17th best wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, if you're looking for a number two, you got him. 
Now, do we want to invest that much money in them? Probably not. Do we especially want to give up cap space or uh, give up uh, draft capital for them? Probably not. Beyond that, the guy's 31 years old, which is problematic. But just from the Denver Broncos standpoint, I'd probably look to trade him and see what I could get for him. Because again, I want to save $10 million, man. Another guy that could potentially get rid of is Derek Wolf. Of his $10.9 million in salary cap, they could save 8.5 of that by moving him. So if they did move those guys, you're, you're looking at almost $19 million saved. Uh, Ronald Leary, he's scheduled to make $8 million. They could save 7.5 of that. That's, I mean, that's a lot of money, man. Chris Harris Jr., if they decide to move on from him, and I listened to something relatively interesting about uh, Vic Fangio, Chris Harris is an absolute stud. Now, this is a guy that, you know, consistently one of the top corners in the NFL. He was graded as the third best this past year. Now, what somebody had said, and I don't know to what extent it's true, but they said that cornerback with Vic Fangio isn't quite as important because of the way that they play. They play a lot of zone. They, they put a lot of emphasis on linebackers and safeties. And cornerbacks can excel without, you know, elite level play. And maybe that's why some of the Bears cornerbacks really stepped up because it's very simplified for the corners. If they were able to trade Chris Harris, who's, who's he's only 29, which isn't super ancient. He's not young, but he's not 32, like I kind of thought he was going to be. And for the team that's getting him, you're getting a top 10, possibly top 5 cornerback at 30 years old. This year he'll be 30. And his base salary is $7.8 million. That's not bad. And from the Denver Broncos standpoint, as much as, again, you'd kind of like to keep him, you're shaving another $8 million. So this is, I mean, there, there's so much money that they could free up. And they're, they're not going to do all these things. Chris Harris is very similar to Emmanuel Sanders, kind of getting older, kind of want to cash in while you can, but you also don't have a lot of you know help behind him. But, I mean, he, he this guy could command a lot in, in the draft. I'm not going to throw out exact whatever. I don't know what exactly he could command, but again, this guy has been one of the top corners for about four years now. And if you're asking me, yeah, I I would take a look at him. On a short-term contract in a passing league, with Jair being the number two, now, you know, the, the, the problem is you got Chris Harris and Jair that are very similar kind of corners, but the cool thing is it doesn't matter. Because Chris Harris is a guy that can play in the slot where he's kind of at his best, but he also plays on the boundary. As a matter of fact, when I talked about Jair, I said, I wonder if he'll play sort of that Chris Harris role where he'll be in the slot sometimes and on the boundary sometimes. Which means if we had a guy like Chris Harris, just throwing it out there, you know, a top five cornerback for less than $8 million, thank you very much, you essentially have a combination in which you could have two guys on the outside, you can have one on the outside, one in the slot. You could have Jair and Chris Harris both on the outside, depending on, and it just depends on matchup. If they got a really good slot guy, you put Chris Harris in the slot, you keep Jair on the outside. If they've got, you know, say say the Minnesota Vikings, well, their best guy, and it, it's interchangeable. Diggs could be the top guy next year, whatever, who cares? But let's say Thielen is our top guy and Diggs is number two. You put Chris Harris, who's our best corner, on their best guy, Adam Thielen, he shuts him down. We put Jair Alexander on Stephon Diggs, who's their second best wide receiver on the outside, and there you go. If it's a different situation where the number one guy is on the outside, the number two guy is in the slot, you put Chris Harris on the outside, you put Jair in the slot, we're still dominant. If they've got their number one and number two both on the boundary, we put Chris Harris and Jair on the outside. Again, I don't know if they're going to move him. It's a big drop-off from Chris Harris. He's still relatively young. Maybe they'll just, you know, extend him. I don't don't really know. It's not that much money. I'm just saying if they're looking to free up some money, it's an option. So, something to consider. What I'd do, I'd probably keep him. I mean, we're not that hard up for money, I'm just saying. 
they could have a ridiculous amount of money. And especially, here's something else. In the draft, there's a lot of big question marks. However, how does a team like Denver acquire a surefire quarterback? Well, surefire maybe is a stretch, but there's a lot of options in free agency that are less of a risk. Guys like Nick Foles, right? Super Bowl champion, overhyped, going to be overpriced, but do the Broncos care? Probably not. They'll be happy to make a bad decision. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying, all right? Otherwise, it's uh, there's not a whole lot. But, you know, be- between these guys, again, $8 million saved for uh, Chris Harris, seven and a half for Ronald Leary, who I don't know if I even really talked about him, but Ronald Leary is a guard. Um, I believe he's a starting guard, but he ended this season on IR, which makes it not very in their interest to keep him, especially since they have other guards that are just about as good. Uh, Elijah Wilkerson, Connor McGovern. None of these guys are any good, but neither is Ronald Leary. I don't want to pay him that much money. He's probably gone. And then, yes, from the Packers' standpoint, he would be somebody to look at because although he's not super great and didn't end the season on a really high note, um, you know, IR and all, he's a relatively decent guard. He's been good to very good pretty much his entire career. So unless we think that he's just fallen off a cliff, I, I, I would take a look at him. 31 years old, but, you know, options. And for the Broncos, that's an easy one for me. That's $8 bucks in my pocket. Yes, please. Well, seven and a half, whatever. And then Derek Wolf, eight and a half. Emmanuel Sanders, 10.2. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money they could free up on top of the 40 they already have. And a lot of these guys are getting older. So, I mean, if, if this is... And, that, and here's the other thing that's somewhat, I guess you could say, intelligent about that. If you want to take sort of the Raiders approach, which isn't nearly as extreme. Khalil Mack is young and at the top of his game. There's, there's almost nobody better, with the exception of maybe Von Miller, who's on this team. But Emmanuel Sanders, you know, Ronald Lee, all these guys are like 30, 31 years old. You sell high. You know, I don't know if you're going to get anything for Ronald Leary, but a lot of these guys, so what? You you embrace the fact that you're in a rebuild. Now, it's, you don't necessarily usually want to do that with a first-year coach, but, you know, you, you got to treat it as a rebuild because as this team is, it's not very good. How about we offload these guys, load up in free agency, and acquire some draft picks in the process? Just saying. So anyways, um, with all that in mind, we'll start going through their roster here. So Case Keenum, I mentioned, not probably as bad as a lot of people would think, but he's definitely not good. Actually had a very good run grade, which is shocking. So, I mean, it's basically one of those situations where he's he's good enough that it's not dire. You know, he's not Blake Bortles where it's like, we just can't play football. He, he can be a game manager, but he definitely is somebody that you're going to want to upgrade because he's probably not going to help you win a Super Bowl championship anytime soon. The reason I say probably not this year is because, again, Case Keenum, I, I could see a situation where, and let, let's look at the draft very quickly here. So the Denver Broncos are picking at 10, and they actually do have quite a bit of picks here. First, second, third, uh, two fourths, two fifths, a sixth, and three sevenths. It's possible they could move up, and maybe they don't even have to. Somebody could fall to them right at 10, and they get the quarterback of the future. But but this is still not like the quarterback class. Next year's supposed to be better. Beyond that, we just hired a defensive head coach. Not to say that he's not surrounding himself with talented offensive coordinators, but it just seems like a tough thing to do to have a rookie come into a team that's not exactly stacked with offensive talent. You've got a rookie who is kind of just kind of, eh, you know, maybe a little bit overhyped because there's just no quarterbacks in this class, probably overdrafted. He's coming into a defensive football team with a defensive head coach and a defensive philosophy without a ton of weapons, and we're expecting him to really step up and do a lot of what exactly? 
I just see them drafting him and him not being even as good as Case Keenum. Obviously, that doesn't have to be the case. I'm just saying, you know, it, that, that's the other good thing about a rebuild, man. You offload a lot of this talent. You leave it with Case Keenum. Suddenly, he's just terrible. You end up with, like, the number one overall pick with a ton of cap space and a bunch of free agents that you just paid for that you get to retain. Then you get Trevor Lawrence, and you're set. Just saying, man. This ain't checkers. This is chess. I'd post the training day clip, but Denzel's got a little bit of a potty mouth, so I can't even get a three-second clip of Denzel in here without needing to bleep it out, so we'll just leave it as it is. But anyway, so presumably they're going to have Case Keenum. Maybe they're going to have a rookie, but either way, again, we're, we're, the whole point of this is looking at the Denver Broncos as they likely will be in 2019. And I think the biggest question for us is going to be, is this a one-year or a two-year rebuild? If they're going to try to push in today, in other words, they offload some talent, they go out in free agency, you know, they, they grab Nick Foles, they grab whoever, and try to rack up some other free agents and just, you know, get a bunch of draft picks and decide that this is going to be their year, that could be a negative net effect for us. If they see it as it probably truly is, which is a two-year deal, Maybe they take a slightly different, slower approach. Not, not. I don't know if you want to tear down the team in a new coach's first year, but maybe just sort of gradually pick a few pieces off, slowly build and, and go that route. We might be better off. So Case Keenum, not all that fantastic. Wide receivers. I mentioned Emmanuel Sanders. It is absolutely in our best interest for them to move on. Emmanuel Sanders is a very good wide receiver. If he's not on the team, that's to our benefit. Whether, regardless of whether we take him or somebody else takes him, so long as he's gone, then uh, we're good. Beyond that, though, they do have some young guys that have the potential to grow. As of their rookie season, though, not super fantastic, just barely average. Again, those guys are Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. Otherwise, they have Tim Patrick. These are the only guys that really had any, um, with the exception, <laughs> with the, what a ridiculous name, with the exception of River. Craycraft, or as we call him in the biz, Rivercraft, who had 27 total snaps. These are the four guys. And again, if you get rid of Emmanuel Sanders, you're getting rid of the 17th best wide receiver and replacing him with, you know, three guys that aren't even in the top 64. So three number three wide receivers. Maybe again, Deshaun or Cortland Sutton can step up and, and be uh, productive second year wide receivers. I don't really know. Cortland Sutton especially is expected to be much better than he was. So we'll see. Keep your fingers crossed on Emmanuel Sanders going bye-bye. Although, be careful what you wish for. The guy will end up going to the Lions or something. Yeah, running back, uh, they got themselves a stud in Philip Lindsay. They also drafted Royce Freeman, who I think was supposed to be a little bit better, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they found a very, very good running back in uh, in Philip Lindsay. Royce Freeman actually proved to be a pretty decent pass blocker, too, so they've, they've kind of got that dynamic. But um, Philip Lindsay's just a good running back, man. He's, he's not a receiving back. And he's basically, he's kind of very similar to Aaron Jones. Also ended the year on IR, so very much like Aaron Jones. So I guess just think of it in that way. And, um, you know, being a rookie, there's obviously no issue with free agency, you know, injury history. No, he's a rookie. So there's really nothing going for us. The only potential benefit here would be that, you know, the, the Vic Fangio effect kind of make things go in the wrong direction. But they had a defensive guy as head coach before this anyways, so I don't think that's going to have too much of a negative impact. However, they do have a new um, offensive coordinator. The bad news is their offensive coordinator is uh, Rick 
Scangarello. And uh, Scangarello was the quarterback's coach for the San Francisco 49ers. So again, the offensive coordinator is now a quarterback guy, which is maybe going to help the whole quarterback situation. But beyond that, what do we know about the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan and their what they do with the running game? And in other words, stopping the run could be an issue with the, the Denver Broncos, especially when you consider identity, right? Defensive football team, smash mouth football team, very reminiscent of the Chicago Bears, but I would expect this to not be a very naggy style offense. You know, hard-nosed defense, very talented players on D. And then they're going to turn around and just ram the football down your throat and, you know, take an eight-minute drive down the field and try to score on you. Now, their ability to do that is going to depend on their ability to throw because you can't just run every time. But if they are able to run on you, that's when things start to open up in the pass game. You got uh, the quarterback coach who's helping their quarterbacks and the wide receivers and, you know, I'm just saying. Some potential to be a problem. I think that was probably a pretty good hire going with the 49ers. Um, offensive coordinator because, again, that philosophy is going to gel well with the defensive-minded head coach. He's also a quarterback coach, so that's going to help with their quarterback deficiencies, etc., etc. The tight end position, you know, new offensive coordinator makes it kind of difficult. Things are going to change. Jeff Howerman is a free agent. They're probably going to let him go. He ended the season on IR, not a very good tight end to begin with. And again, they've got a bunch of younger guys like Troy Fumagalli and Jake Butt. And uh, Jake was actually their best, even though he ended up on IR, maybe their more talented guy. So not a, not a ton to really be afraid of here. Again, it depends. The 49ers offense is going to be different. How they utilize tight ends is going to be different than what they did before. It could be a benefit to this team. So it's hard to say at this point exactly what's going to happen. But what I'm telling you is there isn't a massive amount of talent um, as far as these tight ends go. Looking at offensive line, I mentioned Matt Paradise, their center, um, is due a contract, and they have to resign him, and he's going to probably cost a good amount of money. Now, we're talking about relative to how much centers go for, but, uh, you know, in the order of $10 million plus, which is another reason why. I mean, listen, if they decide to resign all those guys, that's great. They're going to have a hard time with and by those guys, I'm talking about Chris Harris and the guys that I said they could they could move on from. If they decide they're not cutting all those guys and they resign these guys, all that $40 million goes away pretty quick. So it could go one of two ways. They could have more money to play with or they could just keep all their guys and resign their guys and then they don't have any money left. And it all just comes down to the draft and what they're able to do there. But uh, Matt Paradise is going to be expensive. And he's very, very good. I mean, we're, we're talking about the second best, as of last year, the second best center in the NFL. Uh, guards I already kind of touched on. They're not very good. They are probably going to get rid of Ron Leary, save a bunch of money that way. Turn to Billy Turner and Elijah Wilkerson to be the guards, who are not very good as it is. Um, you know, again, with the offensive coordinator and what they do with the run game, there's going to be more practice in this, so possibly there's some guys getting better, especially Elijah Wilkerson has only played two seasons. He could take a step. Uh, Sam Jones was a rookie this year. Maybe he could be a guy that could step up and start getting a few more snaps. Billy Turner's been around a long time. He's not very good. I don't expect him to get much better. But I would anticipate when we get to play the Denver Broncos, depending on what they do in in uh, the draft, not going to have a super great offensive line, at least as far as their guards. Another guy that's due a contract looking at their tackles, Garrett Bowles was a good draft pick. He's uh, starting to step up and kind of come into his own. Actually, I shouldn't say that. He was He's kind of flatlined at being a good tackle. He's nowhere near elite like uh, David Bakhtiari, 
but he's serviceable at left tackle. On the other side, Jared Valdir, this is a tough spot because if you don't re-sign him, you don't really have any other tackles to turn to, meaning you have to draft somebody. If you do re-sign him, which they probably will because of the tough situation they're in, you're essentially re-signing a guy who is, how old is this guy? He'll be 32 years old, and his career started to drop off two years ago. So you're in a situation where you kind of have to, depending on, again, the draft, which you know you'd like to be able to let him go and not pay him a bunch of money, but he's going to probably want a good amount of money. But you can't let him go because then if you don't hit somebody in the draft, you're kind of sunk. So that's going to eat up some of your cap. And I, again, I do think they're going to have to swing that way. As far as what we're going to anticipate in 2019, Garrett Bowles. So essentially, here's an overview of the from left to right. At left tackle, Garrett Bowles is serviceable but beatable. If we can upgrade what we're doing at our um, you know, outside linebacker position. And again, I'm, I'm sticking with Nick Perry. I listened to, I think it was Packaday, and they kind of came to a conclusion that Nick Perry's 100% gone. I don't buy that. The guy has talent. The, the, you know, Again, with the exception of this past year, he's been a 10-sack guy every single year. And 10 sacks is a pretty solid benchmark. I mean, what do you want? You want 15, 20 sacks? He's getting 10, 11, 12. And it, it, injuries are the biggest problem. But my whole contention was if he plays 16 games... He's a 10-sack guy every year. His career fell off, but let's give the new outside linebacking coach a chance to revitalize him. Again, the, the, the attention to detail. Let's see if he can work on his footwork and his hand placement and all these things to get him back to being what he was. But even so, we're going to have him probably on the other side. We get our new stud pass rusher, whether it's Josh Allen, etc., etc., whoever it is, over on the left side against Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles is beatable. Decent, but beatable. Then we move on to guard. Their left guard, probably Billy Turner. Not very good. Their center incredibly good Matt Paradise, but he doesn't have much else around him. At right guard, we're looking at Elijah Wilkerson, not very good. Possibly Sam Jones, if he decides to take a step, they want to give him a shot. We'll see what happens there. Then on the right side, you're more than likely going to have Jared Valdir or a rookie. Either way, it's a really good situation. Jared Valdir, again, his career is falling off a cliff, and he's going to be 32 years old. Otherwise, we're going up against a rookie who, again, is going to be beatable and probably going up against a, a guy like Nick Perry, who hopefully is going to have a bit of a revitalized career. And I'm not talking about top 10. I'm just talking about give me Nick Perry as he was in his contract year. He wasn't elite. He wasn't top 10. But he was good. And he could destroy Jared Valdir any day of the week. I'm just saying we're already paying the guy. We've already got him locked up. We desperately need an outside linebacker. I don't think they had any oversight. I don't think they had very good coaching. They had a guy who had a bunch of other responsibilities. Obviously, he did nothing to help our outside linebackers. Now we have a guy like Mike Smith, who we've heard. I've told you what the Chiefs had to say. I've told you about what Jets players had to say about his incredible attention to detail and the fact that he's just looking at outside linebackers and he's going to be breaking down. He's going to come into this Denver Bronco game and he's going to be looking at Garrett Bowles. He's going to be looking at Jared Valdir and Billy Turner and Elijah Wilkerson and Matt Paradise and all these guys. And he's going to tell them exactly, first of all, this is the guy you're going up against because these are his tendencies, these are his strengths, these are his weaknesses, and that matches up perfectly with what you do. Here's how you beat him. So we've been drilling over and over and over again. This is, these are your fundamentals. This is how you do this, 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 this. As a result, these are the things that you've really picked up that you really excel at. I'm putting you over here because these are his weaknesses. And based on your strengths and his weaknesses, if you do this, 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 you'll beat him. 
That's how you get a guy like D. Ford, who's been garbage for four straight years, to be a top 10 outside linebacker in the NFL because he has the physical tools. He just didn't know what to do with them until a guy like Mike Smith got a hold of him. And I think we got, we have a potentially the potential to do something like that with Nick Perry because we've seen it just a few years ago. So anyways, offensive line is beatable. Their cornerback situation. Now this is going to largely come down to our ability to grow, and this is going to be a common theme as we go through this and why it's so important to not just have one wide receiver. Again, we'll see what they do with Chris Harris, but I've stressed how important it is to have that number one lockdown guy, despite how important or not important things tend to be, but they could save a lot of money by moving on from Chris Harris. However, if they keep him and if we don't improve our number two, three, four, five wide receiver spots, Chris Harris on Devontae Adams is not a good matchup for us. It's not a good matchup for anybody when they have to go up against Chris Harris. Outside of that, they don't have a lot, but neither do we. See, it automatically creates a, a problem whenever anybody has an even a remotely decent cornerback. That's why you got to get that number two, man. Um, some additional problems for them. They're number two and number three cornerbacks who are both really bad. So Chris Harris, third best cornerback in the NFL. There is not one other cornerback on this team that had a grade of even average. Two guys were very close, but they were below. That's Bradley Roby and Tremaine Brock. If you listen to what I said, both of those guys are free agents. So again, we have that same dilemma. We maybe can re-sign these guys, but essentially we're overpaying for guys that are not productive simply because we don't have anybody else. If we let them go, now we're overpaying for Chris Harris. I, maybe I, I, We're not overpaying. We're paying a very good wage for Chris Harris. But it would be nice to have been able to let him go. We can't. We're keeping Chris Harris, who's coming off IR, who's like 30, what, 30 years old. Behind, behind him, we got Isaac Yadom. He's a rookie, so maybe he takes a step, but he was terrible. We, 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 we just have nobody. There's nobody. And even if they do resign Bradley Roby and Tremaine Brock, those guys aren't very good. So, again, I say it comes down to our ability to develop our number two and three. If they get rid of Chris Harris, which at this point seems unlikely because of how dire the situation already is with their cornerbacks, it's going to, you know, if, if we can develop a number two, you know, draft somebody and develop somebody to get three decent wide receivers, this should be no problem. Now, if you look at their safeties, which, you know, considering what Vic Fangio did with the Chicago Bears safeties, there could be some growth here. But um, essentially, we've got Will Parks. I mean, actually, the number one and two are Justin Simmons and Darian Stewart as free safety and strong safety. But Will Parks is their better safety of the group. So whatever. They can do whatever they want. Why do I care? But again, this is a group that's just not not great. You know, Will Parks is decent. Is he ever going to get a starting role or is he just going to be a rotational guy? I don't really know. But Will Parks is a strong safety, so at free safety, they just don't have anybody. And again, you could look at it and say, okay, maybe they get a guy like Deontay Thompson and Vic Fangio turns him into a stud. Maybe, but don't they need corners? Don't they need a tackle? Don't they need wide receivers? Don't they need a quarterback? Don't they need guards? I mean, yeah, maybe they get a safety, but they probably shouldn't. So that's not great. Looking at their linebackers, some decent players here. Not elite, but, you know, again, decent. Todd Davis, not a horrible linebacker. Brandon Marshall, yes, just like the wide receiver. He's okay. But I, th- I think that largely is going to depend, because none of these guys are free agents, so they're going to be around. There's some guys that seem to have some potential. Josie Jewell is a young guy. Todd Davis is def- decent. If Josie Jewell can step up and be more productive, he's already a decent run defender, but can he develop in other facets of his game? They could have a decent, at least duo in this group, but then you got guys like Joe Jones and Keyshawn Vieira, 
Um, didn't get a ton of snaps, but they, they in their limited snaps, looked really, really solid. So I, I would assume the linebackers are going to be pretty decent. And as we move up toward the front, this is where this team gets scary. So everything up to this point has been, you almost kind of want to laugh at them. But this is where things get pretty solid. From there, if you look at their edge defenders, well, let's just go defensive tackles here first. We'll stick in the middle. Um, Shelby Harris, unbelievable. Graded as elite, um, great run defender, decent pass rusher. Actually has a decent coverage grade, which is ridiculous. Uh, behind him, Derek Wolf, very good run defender, defensive lineman. Uh, Dumata Pecco, also really solid. Even behind them, this is kind of like the Packers, actually, where they got the one elite guy and then just a bunch of good football players, Adam Godsis and Zach Kerr. Now, again, the bigger issue here, Shelby Harris is a restricted free agent. They're going to have to re-sign the guy. Uh, Dumata Pecco free agent. They're going to have to resign him. Derek Wolf was one of the guys on the list of guys that they could cut to possibly free up some space. Do you want to, or do you want to keep this line? My preference, let's keep the line as it is. I mean, we're, we're but that's, that's kind of the problem. Derek Wolf, 11 million is a lot, and you can save 8.5 of that. I don't know. Maybe I do let him go. It's, it's tough. Hopefully they do let him go because then that's one less guy to really be concerned about. But bottom line is, you know, they're definitely going to retain Shelby Harris. Derek Wolf could be gone, and, you know, I don't know. We'll have to see from there. Uh, and then beyond that, their edge defenders, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, very, very scary guys. Now, Bradley Chubb didn't grade out very well, but in terms of his sack production, the guy was awesome. Uh, Shaquille Barrett is actually also a good football player, so there's a good chance that he ends up getting re-signed. For how much money, I don't know. Do they even want to invest that much in him? Um, if they don't, then you have a 26-year-old outside linebacker who has been good for four years straight that they're not re-signing. Because, the fact, listen, Shaquille Barrett on the open market, I mean, minimum $10 million. I mean, I don't, I don't know what his sack numbers are, but in terms of his overall production, he's a good football player. Let's take a look at what his uh, numbers are. So his, his sack numbers are low, so that's probably why he's not on a lot of people's radar. 2015, 5.5. 2016, 1.5. And again, he's a rotational guy as part of the issue here. You know, 2015, so he's played in, in 16 games for most of his career, but he started six in 2015. He started zero in 2016. He started nine in 2017. He started zero this year because, again, he's behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So he didn't start anything, but uh, four sacks in 2017, three sacks in 2018. If you look at his percentage, now this is kind of something that I make up, which is essentially how many pressures per snap. He's at about 11.5%. And I've mentioned that's not a bad number, right? Clay Matthews, like last year, I think was at about 11.5%. So in other words, give him more opportunities, you're going to get more production. He only had 252 pass rush snaps in which he had 29 total pressures. He had six sacks, six hits, 17 hurries, one batted pass, 27 tackles, 17 assists, two missed tackles, 23 stops, three forced fumbles, and an 83 passer rating when targeted. So, I don't know. We'll see. You know, in, in a league that is obsessed with um, sack numbers, you know, the fact that he was an undrafted free agent in 2014, a lot of this stuff is probably not going to bode very well, but he is a good football player. And again, 11.5%, his 200 and some snaps, you, you figure Von Miller, who's a full-time guy, had uh, 506. Actually, I was looking at that upside down. 2018, he was at 10.2%. Uh, 127 total pass rush snaps. Three sacks, four hits, six hurries, 18 tackles, yada, yada, yada. So Von Miller's getting four to five times the amount of snaps. Multiply out those numbers by four to five. Very potent, very possibly a 10-sack guy. 
you know, even even on the conservative side, give him four times the amount of, of snaps that he had. Well, he had three sacks times four is what? Pretty sure it's 12, right? I don't know. I don't know why I'm pushing so hard here. I'm just saying. But anyways, either way, we're going up against Bradley Chubb and Von Miller next year. Uh, Shane Ray is another guy. He's probably gone. He's never really been all that good. It's actually really disappointing. Is you know maybe somebody that they could look at. I mean, he's he's had a very similar career as D Ford, but he's never had that D Ford moment. Right, smaller guy, kind of a speed guy off the edge. Maybe he's a guy you take a flyer on for very very cheap, and just see if maybe having a guy like Mike Smith can try to you know you'd have to have conversations with him and see you know watch him over you know watch some of his film and see what he's doing wrong and if this stuff is he's able to be coached up on it. I don't know. It's an option, but he's not very good and he probably won't be there either. So overall, with this team, um, they're kind of in a lot of tough spots. They do have seemingly a decent amount of cap space. They could expand on that cap space, but in almost every situation where they could get rid of somebody um, to get additional cap space, it's a situation where you kind of look at it and go, eh, that's probably not a good idea. We should just retain that person. Maybe Derek Wolf, but outside of that, it's like Chris Harris, now nah, probably shouldn't. Emmanuel Sanders, now nah, probably shouldn't. And then beyond that, they do have to resign some guys. We're talking about one of the best centers in the nation. Uh, they they got to resign them. Uh, you know, Demata Pecco and Shelby Harris, you got to have these guys on your team. So I don't know if they're going to have that big of an impact. How they draft is going to be kind of a, a, a big question mark as far as how good their team is going to be, as well as what is the Vic Fangio effect going to be as a head coach. Hopefully for our sake, it doesn't um, do very much to help. Because really, this front is actually pretty good. Their their linebackers are decent. Their defensive line and outside linebackers are very, very good. And if uh, Fangio is able to coach up the secondary, could be a really, really tough defense. But anyways, that's about all I got. I was not paying attention to the time. Bit of an issue. (laughs) But you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.